0: Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, Paul talks about the armor of God that has been provided for us. The belt of truth. As a believer, to come and say, Lord, I am all in. I am committed. I am ready. That is something I need to put on and never take off. The breastplate of righteousness. I put on his righteousness. Not my own righteousness. If I try to walk in this battle in my own righteousness, I will, get, I will be taken out. The shoes of the gospel of peace. God is on my side. My battle is not against Him, but against powers and principalities. This level of commitment, His righteousness and His peace are things that I need to always leave on but there's a verb change that takes place in the next three pieces that need to be put on. There are times when things really get tough that I need to take up the shield of faith. And we talked about it, we said it over and over and over again, who I believe will determine what I do. If I believe the lies of the enemy, that will impact what I do. If I believe God and His truth, that will impact what I do. And as I was reminded with having a conversation with Steve Mason was, not only that, but what I believe about myself, what God tells me about myself will impact what I do. And the helmet of salvation that I would strap on the fullness and walk in the fullness of my salvation because biblical salvation is made up of three dimensions, past, present, and future. You and I, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, You have been justified as a believer. But you've also, in receiving that gift of salvation, you are being sanctified. You are being transformed from glory to glory. And you will be, one day, when you see him face to face, you will be glorified. So, believer, when the battle starts heating up, you need to strap that on and never forget it because Satan is going to attack you with doubt and fear unbelief. We have one more piece of armor that we need to take up and that is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. I'm grateful for the many people that have been praying for this message and for me and yet I'm going to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I want to acknowledge again, as I have several times this morning, if you don't come in your power, and the power of your Spirit, this really will be a waste of time for everyone here. Lord, we are asking desperately dependent on your spirit coming and moving in power among us. Open up, I pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our spiritual eyes, our ears, break through the places that are hard. I would come against a spirit of resistance in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, like Clay in the potter's hands. I pray that you would find us moldable this morning as your word is opened up. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Each piece with the armor of God, we have looked at it as to what it meant for a Roman soldier specifically. And so we want to continue with that. The sword of a Roman soldier, there are several different kinds of swords available and used by a Roman soldier that a Roman soldier could use in battle. And he'd use different swords according to different situations. But there's a very specific sword that is referred to here. This is not a giant broad sword held with two hands, swung back and forth, used to de- decapitate the enemy. A difficult weapon to wield Certainly not one that could be used precisely. It's cumbersome. It's heavy. The sword, the word used for sword in verse 17, very specific, it refers to the sword that a soldier would wear on his belt. And it would be held in a leather sheath. It was a double-edged sword, approximately 20 inches long. Its compact nature made this sword very precise. It made it a lethal weapon in the hands of a trained soldier. You need to remember that description as we go on in this. Something else I want you to recognize is that when it says, take up the sword of the Spirit, that means that this sword is given to you by the Spirit of God. Say it this way, take up the sword that the Spirit of God gives you. What is this sword that the Spirit of God gives you? What do we know about it? I know that this sword is a precise instrument. It is given to me by the Spirit of God. This sword is the Word of God. Do we know anything else? Yes. A great deal, actually. Another thing we find in the meaning of this Greek word is that this word for, used for word at the end of verse 17 says, which is the word of God. Most common Greek word used for word, I hope I don't get stuck on that too much, is logos. But there's another Greek word used that's translated word in English. It is rhema. Here's what I want you to catch. Logos is not only the most common, it carries the very broad and general meaning of word. So if I was to say the logos of God, the word of God, I would be referring to the Bible in general. When we say ramos or Rama, which is the word used here in Ephesians 6.17, we are talking about, now catch this, a very specific, precise word. That means that the sword of the Spirit that gives me the ability to go into battle and win the battle, when Satan is attacking me, is not the Logos of God. It is not a general knowledge of the Bible. It is the rhema of God. It is a specific word of God for that moment of battle. That which protects me in the midst of warfares when I know from the general Word of God, an appropriate verse, a specific word for that situation that I'm facing. It's really important that we catch this. That means if I'm going to use a precise word in order to deal with Satan's attack and do it in a decisive way, I'm going to need to know the Word. I believe that's why in Proverbs and Psalms, the Word of God is described as a treasure. And I don't know about you, but when I think about a treasure, I picture it as something that it's not something I accidentally trip over. It's something that I am going wholeheartedly after. When I think of a treasure, I think of something that I dig for, that I work for, that I take as my own. And in the context of Scripture, I want you to know this truth. Regarding this very thing, Paul, in writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.15, instructs him, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles what? The word of truth. How do you correctly handle the word of truth? Part of it is you have to be regularly in it, regularly reading it. You need to regularly study it. God the Father has provided for us as children a precise instrument, like a 20-inch double-edged blade, which when properly used will help me defeat the attacks of Satan. Just like a soldier trains to use his weapons effectively so that when he finds himself in battle, he can move more than just survive, he can win. So too, when the spiritual battle is really raging in my life, I need to know the precise Word of God that I need at that moment. I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again and again. The specific, precise Word of God that the Spirit of God brings to you only can happen from that which I have hidden in my heart. I need to know it. Would you consider just for a moment what it is that you hold in your hands? the very words of God. Beyond right doctrine, beyond right theology, beyond teaching that is accurate and true, what we are dealing with when we deal with with this is God's words to you, God's word to me, more than God's words, I believe we are dealing with God Himself. Do you remember one of Jesus' names? The word, capital W. It's not just a book I read, it is my opportunity to meet God. It's where God tells me who He is in the clearest of ways. More than any other place that I can ever read about or study where I really find out who God is, is here. If I don't access it, I will create God in my own image. And then when God doesn't work the way I think He should, I get mad. I may even walk away from him, shake my fists at him. Hey, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And yet what I wanted him to do was very outside his character. In his word, I find out who he is, his ways, his purposes, what he expects of me, how he's worked through history. The Word of God becomes for me the evaluator of every experience I have, of everything I think, everything I know. I don't know, I probably haven't talked too much about this, but to have a biblical worldview. See, we all have a worldview, don't we? And Our worldview is very different than a Romanian's worldview because our experiences are different. We all are guilty of this, and it is a huge thing to overcome. But we take our worldview and we read it into Scripture. It's called eisegesis. When we take something out that isn't what was intended, what I am supposed to do is understand God's point of view and then understand what's going on in my life, and understand what's going on in my culture. Without it, I'm left alone. But He hasn't left me alone. He has given me, John 16, 13, the Spirit of Truth who will guide me into all truth. John 14, says, "I says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said. What that means is that He's going to help me remember the Scripture that I've stored up in my heart, the precise word I need when I need it. I hope this has happened to you for countless times when you're in a conversation with someone, they're going through something, and and a verse pops in your mind. You're you're not, hey, I don't care if you can't give me the chapter and verse. But if you say, you know, what I hear what you're saying, however. Or let me encourage you with. And it's a word You may not have read that passage for a long time, but it's come to you. Guess who brought it? Spirit of God. And it was exactly what you needed for the moment. People ask, you know... um, how do I know what I should do in a given situation? Or, or, or what I'm facing? You know, my friends say one thing based on what I'm facing. Um, and, and then I, I, I heard an argument that was really well presented, and, and that, it could be that, it made a lot of sense. And then I saw this TV show that I was watching, in the, and the person on that was, wow, I mean, really good advice. How do I filter through all of those voices? all of those options, they all sound good. Well, here's what I know for sure. Second Peter one 16 through 16-21 says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever been made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Spirit of God, spoke from God. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Where's that line? Well, it's kind of like this. Joints and marrow, how do you separate that? Able to judge the thoughts and intentions or attitudes of the heart. What's from from God? What's, what's, What's my idea? What's Last Night's Pizza? The Word of God is alive. The Spirit of God breathes breath to it so that when I read it, it's that time where I'm like, ah, oh, I've never seen that before. But how many times have I read the Gospel of John? How could I have read this so many times? But today, something specific for me or Today, something specific for my friend who I've been praying for for weeks. Here it is. Bible is not just words on a page, living words. Listen, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God breathing through those pages the same Spirit of God that if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ dwells within you. That's why the light is able to go on. God's Word is authoritative. It's sufficient to make me wise not only in my salvation but how to live it out. It is useful for teaching, rebuking. We love that one correcting, training in righteousness that I might thoroughly be equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 good works that he has provided beforehand we've learned in Ephesians. The Word of God is the source of guidance. Psalm one nineteen one hundred five says that the Word of God is like a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The Word of God is the source of our spiritual growth and maturity, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. One of the things that the Word of God is sufficient for and capable to be the source of is victory over spiritual warfare. That the children of God face, the Word of God can bring victory. Every battle that you face today from the enemy, the counter thrust and parry is available to you. Amen, Pastor. That's good stuff. The ramos, the Rama of God is a specific word that gives you victory. As we've come to this particular piece of armor, I realize that if you've heard any teaching on Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 18 in the armor of God, you've likely heard this statement that the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon. And what I would have you to consider, however, is that the sword of the Spirit is not only an offensive weapon, but it's just as much a defensive as an offensive weapon. Let me explain very quickly. If a Roman soldier is in battle, the sword is used not only to, to inflict blows, but it's used to deflect blows. Luke chapter 4, after Jesus has finished fasting for 40 days, Satan comes against Jesus, all sorts of temptations. And remember how it ends, he says, and he left until there was a more opportune time, maybe like Peter. Each temptation comes to Jesus, and he deflects the blow by doing what? Luke 4.4, 4, Luke 4, eight, Luke 4.12. Every time Satan comes at him with an attack, he says what? It is written. I was at a youth conference one time and the speaker in this message divided up this auditorium of 6,000 teenagers into three sections. And at each appropriate point he would have the Whole auditorium. It is written. Let me tell you, by the 12th time, people were weeping. Each time the enemy attacked, because Satan is a liar, to say it is written. Jesus did it with a specific ramos of God. Specific scripture that affected the specific attack. What do you say? What do you do when you are attacked with doubt or discouragement? What do you do when you're attacked with fear? What do you do when he tells you you're no good? What do you do when he tells you you're a failure? You're not going to measure up. What scripture have you hidden in your heart? What do you know for sure? What we need to be able to do, equipped to do, When Satan brings or moves against me or moves against you with his lies, is to say, like Jesus said, Satan, you are a liar. The Word of God says, by the way, this is just for free, not even in my notes, but here it is. There's a particular area in your life that you kind of continually run up against. Find specific scripture. Make some flashcards. Have somebody, if you don't know how to memorize, have have somebody quiz you. You need to hide something in your heart so that when the attack comes, you are ready. If you're not even sure how to find them, I'll help you out. Who I listen to, who I believe will impact how I act. What am I going to focus on? Who am I going to believe? Will I take up and use the sword against the lies that move against my mind and my emotions? Satan says, God hasn't forgiven you. You're not forgiven. How do I respond? Something like, God's word says that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I am forgiven. I choose to believe God. Satan's beating you up. You feel like scum, like you're not worthy. Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. I'm going to believe him. Ephesians 1, 5, 4 and 5. He chose me in him in the foundation of the world that I would be holy, blameless before him. That's who I am. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. Do you believe it. That's the sword. That's the rhema of God. When the enemy moves against you with doubts, pull out the sword. He has made us his children, verse 5 of Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption. I've been purchased out of the marketplace. Through his blood we have forgiveness of our sins, verse 7. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We've been sealed, marked with Him, proving that I belong, verses 13 through 14. How about chapter 2, verse 1? We were dead in our transgressions. Yes, you know what? Satan, there was a time. There was a time I was God's enemy. But chapter 2, verse 4, because of His great love for Tim, God, who is rich in mercy, made Tim alive with Christ. Even when Tim was dead in his transgressions, he has made Tim alive. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am a son. I have an inheritance. Satan, you are a liar. You know why? It is written. That's the sword of the Spirit. I need to know how to use it Not just offensively, but defensively. How will you respond when the enemy moves against you with fear? Causes you to fret. I'm I'm not afraid. Because I have courage. I could use a sword. I could go to the Word where it tells me in Psalm 46... God is my refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not be put to fear. I will not fear. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He says, be still, Tim, and know that I am a God. You are in the hollow of my hands. The Lord Almighty is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. Take up the sword and deflect the blow. What do you know for sure? I know one thing. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, He will stand. That's the sword from Job chapter 12, chapter 19, verse 25. It can be used as a defensive weapon, and we need to learn how to do that. It is also, of course, an offensive weapon. It's used to carve holes in the kingdom of darkness. Like Jesus, and we would use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in order to see somebody who's oppressed and to see them set free from whatever bondage they may be held in. To bring people from life to be taken out of captivity. Listen, in my understanding of God's word and how He works to accomplish His will in people's lives, or in a community, or in a nation, or in the world, we don't wade into those places of darkness and battle. We don't go into a relationship wielding a a, a sort of philosophy or a sort of programs. If we're going to make a difference in our community, it's going to happen through the Word of God. The Word of God, the rhema, the specific Word of God for a situation is what's going to hack away at Satan's kingdom, knock holes in it, and see families set free, see individuals set free. It really is part of why, more often than not, I preach through a letter, I preach through a book, Trusting, praying that God is going to use it in your life or that you're going to be able to take it and use it in someone else's life. So that's why we preach it. That's why we teach it in Sunday school class or small groups or a discipleship setting or around a cup of coffee. It's why we sit down with our children and we tell it to them. To sit down with our kids and go, what are you going to offer to God this week? What a great question for all of us to answer. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us came, God, this is what I'm offering you this week. Because I got before you and I listened, and this is what you're asking of me. I'm going to give up my time to be with somebody. Application. And, but before we end, I need to add a couple of things real quick. First, this sword that I've just described, you can't afford to just leave in the sheath if you hope to walk in victory in your life. I'm afraid that for many believers, maybe even some here this morning, the sword that I just described is nothing more to you than just a description One reason or another, entire Christian life, never really been able to to walk over to that weapon, grab it, pick it up, and effectively wield it. Not sense that God is moving through it and somehow that there's spiritual authority here to change your life. You've quoted it You've studied it. You've memorized it. You've even sensed being pierced by it from time to time. But I trust we all know that it's possible to have a house full of Bibles and never use a sword. What I need to know is how to grip it. Spiritually, How do I put my hand around that grip and use it not only to defend myself against Satan's attacks but to hack holes in his kingdoms? I'm not thinking of anyone specific because I don't have to. Just this many people. There are people in this room that are in bondage. And on their own, they're not going to be able to be set free. They're going to need somebody who's in relationship with them, who knows the Word, that can remind them of the Word, and take out the sword and set them free. There are people in your lives, there's a multitude of people in your lives that are in bondage to lies and deception. And they don't even know it's a lie. But unless you can come and speak truth in love, they're going to remain in bondage to a lie. Understand, what we've been called to do, what I need to do to get a grip on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I can know it, I can discuss it, but if I haven't owned it, there's no way I can use it. How can I defend myself from the attacks of Satan if I don't know what the Word says in dealing with that situation? It's impossible. Something else we need to be aware of And at the risk of being misunderstood, I'm going to say something that I'm hoping it shakes you up a little bit. I'm painfully aware this morning that it's possible to know the Word, study the Word, memorize it, even teach it to other people, and still never really embrace it personally. To never really grip on to what, that it rings in my life with the power of God that rings with the authority of the power of God in my own life first. If that resonates with you, the missing piece is that the sword, the word of God is not a sword for you missing ingredient for many, I would say this is perhaps the unseen, unknown, I don't know how to describe it, but what affects the church in America today, we no longer live as though it's real. We no longer live as though God's Word is real. That's true in our community as well as anywhere else. I need something to happen to change it from just words on a page to the power of God. Where there's authority and power. See, it's not my knowledge of the Word, it's my Submission to it. It's not my preaching of it, it's my living it out. Would it be fair, maybe not much of a stretch, that if all you had, if all you had, was Ephesians, that letter. If that's all you had, would it be enough? Well, I get tired of reading that over and over again. If I was living, if I was allowing the Spirit of God to be living Ephesians in and through my life, would it be enough? Let me try to say that another way. Simply put, I don't, I don't think the sword can go out this way. Let me give you some advice. Or take that, Satan. I don't think you can ever do that until you've allowed it to go here if the word of god has not pierced your own heart you have no idea how to use it here i'm afraid i'd be nothing more than a loud gong One of the stereotypes of the church today from those who are not of the church, in the church, are that Christians are what? Christians are, thank you, hypocrites. I knew it would come out pretty quick. You know what? I don't think anyone intentionally lives as a hypocrite. In fact, I would say most people who would have that label on them are blind to it. What is the non-Christian or the person that's walked away from faith? How do they describe the hypocrite? Oh, they talk good. They do all these things. But their lives, double standard. What is that? Never. Let's do everyone a favor. Until we're all impaled, let's keep our mouth shut. Boy, that wasn't planned either. We have missions conference. Gonna do a vision Sunday. We have two messages left in Ephesians. And in that, I'm gonna give you some, one of those, I'm gonna give you some prayers. But bottom line, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about it starting here. Have you, did you take the time? if you're doing the small group study and you read Colossians, almost every letter, Paul's got one of those lists. Did you allow it to penetrate you? Like in Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 32, where we talked about there are things I need to put off. There are things I need to let cut off. I need to get rid of because it's not, it doesn't equal who I really am. I need to get rid of bitterness and rage and malice and anger and brawling and slander and every form of it. If I have a conversation with somebody and it slips out where I cut down somebody's character, it's slander. And if in the moment the Holy Spirit goes, boop, hey, what was that? just means that there's something there that I need to ask the Holy Spirit to remove. I need to join Him in that so that I don't allow the enemy to have a foothold in my life. I need to take back ground. I know some of you have been really engaged in things like that. But if not, then it's just a book. And there is no power, and there is no transformation, supernatural from the inside out, and you have nothing to offer. But dwelling within you, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God that is able to give you everything you need to walk in victory and be changed and be transformed and to be used to do supernatural things in people's lives. You just got to let it start with you first. You'll know when the power, that the Word of God has power and authority when you allow it to start here. as you begin to walk a worthy walk, chapter 4, verse 1, When I allow him to develop humility in my life and that when people bump into me, what they get is a gentle breeze, power under, under control, that I'm patient, that I, that I bear with you. That there's love, there's unity. You know what? Hey, if there's somebody in our church that bothers you, You need to hang out with them so that the Spirit of God can develop in you what it means to love and bear with them. You need to hear their story. They need to hear yours because we're in this together. How? Ephesians 5.18. Walk in the continual filling of the Spirit. Listen, all this... This whole message, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) This letter, this book, has to become part of your spiritual DNA. It has to become part of you as natural as breathing. Things only go from bad to worse. Evolution isn't true. Things are not getting better. Some of you can wig out on that. I just... I need to live this out 24-7 in a relationship with you, with you and with you and with you and with you. And what you don't want from me is just a bunch of temp. That when we get together, it's the Spirit of God working in you, working in me, working in you working in me working in you working in me iron sharpens iron and we become transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ that get people curious what do you have well let me let me tell you my story it starts this way I'm not as much of a jerk as I used to be Would you like to be less of a jerk? If you would, stand with me. Let's pray. If you want to stay being a jerk, you just stay there. (laughs) Keep your eye out, elders. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Father, my prayer this week is... uh, for all of us, but specifically those of us who right now, be it in the midst of a battle or a midst of decision, a midst of uncertainty, that as we press in and seek your face and we open up your word that, Lord, you would speak to us a specific word for us for the moment, this specific word for us that we're to give to someone else. And Lord, that we would choose ahead of time, whatever that word is, that we would obey it. Because it's only as we obey it and walk in your humbly before you and your strength and in obedience, that's where we get to see it played out. Pray that you'd use us this week as we allow you to use us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.